This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Welcome, everybody. In California, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I go to my computer to see if the air is good enough to go outside, <laughs> like, right? And uh, at one point, there were fires on four sides. Basically, there are a lot of reasons why uh, people can be feeling grief or anxiety. And uh, about a week ago or so, there was an article in the New York Times that really moved me. That uh, Somebody started this this thread where they said, uh, send in a six-word coronavirus memoir. And over a thousand people wrote in a six-word memoir. And I'm going to read about 20 or 25 of them. It will take about a minute. And just see if you can feel what people are going through as they're writing this. Working from home, bored, lonely, lucky. Mom declines, and so do I. Every day is just another Wednesday. Apparently, rock bottom has a basement. (laughs) Mother, teacher, cook, wife, shrieking nutcase. Hoarded toilet paper should have been vodka. I mean, these are kind of funny, but they're also very sad in a way. Yes, of course they are, but God, why not laugh? Okay. We said goodbye forever via Zoom. Husband never sick. COVID took him. What day is it? Who cares? Head exploded, turning off the news. I miss my mother so much. Coronavirus and hate permeate the air. Everything hurts, especially my heart. I have misplaced my last marble. Envious of optimists and the ignorant. So many projects, so little focus. Getting used to thoughts of death. Too much even for an introvert. 
watched my watched my father's funeral on Zoom. Wrong year to stop sniffing glue. We are not in this together. And my favorite, frightened about finishing all of Netflix. Natural born isolator reaches her limit. So much time, so little inspiration. Breakfast alone, lunch alone, dinner alone. Lying in bed with existential dread. Just want my old life back. I try to imagine what it might be like to be living during times of coronavirus without having a practice. Even though I, I do have a housemate, he's not somebody I relate to very much. I, I am pretty much living alone, but I really feel like I'm living with God and I'm living with the Dharma. That, I, that I'm not alone, that actually by having a quieter life, I feel more connected. I feel more connected with God. I feel more connected with myself. And I even feel more connected with all other beings because I'm having time to go into my heart. I'd like to talk about a few things briefly and then have more of a discussion about your own six to 600 word memoir about coronavirus slash election slash weather slash racial divisiveness, <laughs> uh, all, all the things that are impinging on us right now. So the, the two things that I found that have really been very useful for me is firstly, doing global practice. It's very easy to say, Financial things are going on and the weather's bad, so I can't exercise, so my body doesn't feel so great. And I turn on the news and all these horrible things are happening. But if every day I spend a little time doing practice for everybody, doing Tonglen or compassion practice for all human beings, or all beings affected by the coronavirus, or all people of color who have been affected by discrimination, or all Republicans, or all Democrats, or all people who don't know if they're Republican or Democrat. Pick out a very large group of people where there's so much suffering in that group that it's even unimaginable. And then imagine it and take that suffering into your heart and send the antidote with loving kindness. And every time I do that, I end up feeling for hours after I do that, that my heart is so much more expansive that I'm almost like even though my, my gym where I used to go out and go to and work out is closed, that it's a gym for the heart. It's strengthening my heart muscle. I certainly do need to put in a couple of warnings here. One is that if you're feeling incredibly fragile, even with your own suffering, you might think that this is a little too much. You might be right. I, I'm not, if you're feeling that you're really on edge with your own suffering, then maybe you don't start with the suffering of all humanity. Maybe you start, well, I'm serious. And for instance, I think, didn't we do that H-E-A-L acronym of taking in the good and blinking it up with something bad? Didn't we do that two weeks ago? Yes, we did. Okay. So I, I, I have these smaller in-person groups that are now Zoom groups locally, and one of the people uh, shared that 
a practice with a, a elderly friend of hers, and the, her friend linked it up with her experience during the Holocaust. The negative experience that she was linking to the positive experience completely overwhelmed the positive one, hijacked the whole thing. So that obviously you have to have a deep enough connection with self, with God, with, with practice that you can realize that your heart is boundless and you can take in all that suffering. Let me just say that I've been doing this regularly and it takes me beyond the irritation, the, the anger, the feelings of separation. So I, I recommend that. The second thing is that it's very easy to get into the mindset that all these things that are going on out in the world are other than God, that God brings us the good stuff and that coronavirus and racial discrimination and racial, I'm sorry, and political divisiveness and bad weather and fires and people losing their homes are other than God. And I remember once we were with Maharaji and he was off talking to some other people and some of us Westerners were talking and one of Maharaji's older devotees came over and overheard us and said, you Westerners don't understand. You think that Maharaji brings you only the good stuff. No, he is all of it. And in fact, the beloved can only be everything. For instance, when somebody is ill, in order to get better, you have to get sick enough to admit you're ill and to move forward, to go to the doctor, to take the medicine, to change your diet, to what, whatever it is that you need to do to start feeling better. And I think that can be extrapolated to the collective. There is a, a quote from Carl Jung where he says, when an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. When an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. I was talking to my son about this yesterday. He had a very different interpretation of Carl Jung than I did. What I think it means is that if there's some inner energetic quality that you keep making unconscious, there's something you keep pushing away, that life will conspire that eventually it's going to happen outside as fate, that the place where you're stuck is going to meet life sooner or later, often sooner. What I'm saying is that I think we can extrapolate this to the collective, that what the American inner situation that has been not made conscious over the decades and the centuries, it's gonna happen outside as fate. And whether we're talking about the environment or politics or race relations, the tumor or the infection or whatever metaphor you want to use is going to become serious enough that it's going to require treatment. It's going to, it's going to come out and it's going to be noticeable in that way. Very often when we're feeling a difficult emotion, we blame it on the trigger. Like if I'm feeling anxiety, I'm seeing, I say, well, I'm feeling anxiety because of the coronavirus or because of there's fires on four sides of my home. I was just talking to a friend who had some very dear friends who decided to move from California because California was getting unlivable. And these people moved to Oregon and they bought a house and they completely renovated it and remodeled it. And right after they got done, it turned to a pile of ashes, right? The whole thing completely burned down right after they did the whole thing of moving to a safe place, getting out of California. We could say, 
well, there's that trigger that the environment isn't safe or the political environment isn't safe or the financial environment isn't safe or the racial environment isn't safe. But there is this slogan in Tibetan Buddhism that I have mentioned many times in the past, which is drive all blames into oneself. That as long as you are blaming the environment for how you're feeling, healing is not happening. And yes, the environment is triggering things, but it's up to us as practitioners. As soon as we're feeling off balance, off center, closed hearted, instead of saying, well, I wish the traffic would be better. Why is that guy driving like that? Or why is that president behaving like that? Or why is that speaker of the house behaving like that? Or why is the weather, you know, whatever we, we deal with what we're feeling. Can we come back to our bodies? Can we open our hearts? Let me read a, a very short poem from Hafiz, my favorite poet. Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need of God absolutely clear. He's talking about loneliness. I think that's true really about any kind of suffering, that it shows us where we're separate from God. Hey, Dale, what was the name of the poet? The poet, Hafiz, H-A-F-I-Z. He was a, almost a contemporary of Rumi. Rumi is much more famous because Robert Bly got a hold of him before he got a hold of Hafiz and did a lot of not really translating, but taking some horrible British translations from a hundred years ago and upgrading them. Interestingly enough, a few years ago, Rumi was the most widely sold poet in America. I was saying there were two practices. The first one was this global practice, and we will we will do that in a few minutes. The other one, uh, I kind of alluded to when I say God is 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 the the difficult as well as the wonderful and beautiful, is that can we begin to see the difficult as another face of God? In in Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhism, as you know, there are all kinds of depictions of the face of God that are, are wrathful or ferocious. In Judeo-Christianity, particularly in Christianity, and we do live in a mostly Christian culture, I guess, in some way, people think of God as some nice, friendly person that you'd like to have lunch with, you know, who wouldn't want to sit down with Jesus for some, some bagels and locks, right? But is there a more ferocious side to God that we can also have a romantic relationship with? Do we have to approach the negative from an inner stance of poverty, right? Is it possible to open to the negative, what we see as negative, the difficult, the, the challenging, as one of the faces of God? My spiritual name, Ramdev, is actually one of the names Shiva. Ramdev means Ram's Lord. Ram worships Shiva, Shiva worships Ram. So Shiva's the destroyer, and he's often depicted dancing on a baby. He's destroying a baby. And what he's doing is he's destroying a baby delusion, something that causes suffering. It's not that, that Kali or Shiva destroy wholeness. They, they reveal wholeness through 
devouring attachment. There's a, a wonderful poem by Ram Prasad Sen, Ramakrishna's favorite poet, where he says, in this life, Mother Kali, either I will devour you or you will devour me, and I vow that it is you that I will devour. And the notion here is, in any moment where we're present, where we're not being overwhelmed by resistance to coronavirus or political or weather or whatever it might be, we're devouring our lives. We're taking it in and being present and, and consuming it. And any moment where we're lost, we're being devoured by life. What, as I said, I'd like today to be less of a lecture and more of a discussion. But why don't we do a, a short guided meditation? And begin by just bringing your awareness into your body, just becoming present, being with the breath, feeling how the air is coming in through your nose, down through your throat, your lungs expand, lungs push the diaphragm down, moves your belly. As you exhale, the opposite happens. We can even bring in the hard breath that as you're breathing out, you're maintaining strength down in the lower belly the lower belly not collapsing as you breathe out, but maintaining strength and fullness. And let that be a very brief foundation for beginning to open your heart, breathing into your chest, as if you had nostrils in your chest, breathing in love, compassion, gratitude, forgiveness, all those heart qualities, breathing out, surrendering into spaciousness. And as your heart opens a bit, Go back to some of the feelings you had when I was reading those 25 six-word memoirs of people who were responding to how COVID had affected their lives. And realize that there are millions and millions of people around the world, how many people have been affected by COVID. And certainly a large majority of the planet has been affected by COVID one way or the other the amount of suffering, financial, physical, emotional, is beyond imagining. But can you imagine a vast plain in front of you where everyone who's been affected by COVID is standing there looking at you with their suffering painted on their faces? You can't see each individual one, obviously. And realizing that your heart is boundless, you begin to imagine what these people are feeling collectively. You have some idea what your own suffering in response to COVID has been what you felt in the beginning when you were afraid to go to the grocery store, 
when maybe you heard about a friend who was infected, maybe you wondered how it was going to affect you financially or as time has gone on, how it's affected you emotionally. Not hugging people for so long. And then extrapolate that most of humanity is having similar, some much more intense, similar feelings. Feel it breaking your heart, being willing to open to what everyone is experiencing. Not getting lost, realizing that your heart is boundless, is not, there are no boundaries that are being bumped into and no need to get lost in these feelings. So as you breathe in, just imagine that all of the suffering is coming into you. And as you breathe out, send the antidote of healing and kindness with love as you breathe out, mostly focusing on feelings of compassion as you breathe in, a wish that beings not suffer, and loving kindness as you breathe out. You're not trying to fix the suffering. You're not trying to transmute it as you take it in. You're just realizing that your heart and my heart is one heart. There's one consciousness. And you are connecting all of the suffering through the one heart with compassion and loving kindness. taking in the suffering with compassion, sending out the antidote with loving kindness. If you're feeling resistant to this practice, if it's overwhelming, then change the practice to doing Tonglen for the part of you that's resisting, the part that might be overwhelmed, taking in that suffering, sending out the antidote with loving kindness. But if you can, continue with working with all people who are suffering because of COVID. Realizing the sky-like, boundless nature of the heart. The empty nature of the heart, empty of self, empty of concept. So that all the suffering can go into the heart and it simply dissolves into the vast spaciousness as if your heart were the boundless sky and this suffering is one small cloud off in the distance.
And then bidding a fond farewell to all these beings. And imagine now that you're doing this practice with all the people in this virtual room. Just imagine that we're in one big room. And even though you don't know how the individuals might be suffering, just be willing to connect through the heart with each person in the room, feeling a deep compassion. Breathing in the collective suffering. Breathing out the antidote with loving kindness. Compassion as you breathe in, loving kindness as you breathe out. feeling connected to the people in the room, feeling connected to yourself, feeling connected to God. And it's not really our suffering or my suffering, but it's the suffering. Each of us just a channel for manifest the healing that we're not doing healing happening through us. Coming back then into your own body, being with the breath again. Full belly as you breathe out. Being centered as a foundation for allowing the heart to remain open as we end the meditation in a minute. working with the possibility of keeping your heart that open as we have a conversation. Okay, any comments about that meditation? I've been doing Tong Lin practice for some time, and it was, it was interesting that right at the end of our meditation a moment ago was the first time I ever become really aware of the fact of being a recipient of Tonglen. And I want to express my gratitude to everyone in this group um, for including me in 
the Tonglian, even though it's difficult for us to necessarily know each person on here or even, you know, we could stare at the faces on the, the little thumbnails and all of that. Um, so I realized that we were mostly, you know, doing this for the group. But I really uh, felt deeply loved, and I really appreciate it. Um, and I, I almost hate to say this about COVID, but it has been such a, this time of COVID has been an incredible blessing in my life. Um, before COVID hit, I was busy and felt like I needed to be busy. And uh, after COVID hit um, and I was, my busyness was curtailed, I have been able to find groups like this. Uh, there's two or three groups that I sit with um, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, Zoom has become my friend as opposed to something that I really uh, tried to avoid at all cost. Um, but the experience of having community right here in my own home and feeling what uh, what I just felt as a recipient of of the love that is being shared uh, is a blessing. And if it's because of COVID, well, then I have to thank God for coming to us in that form in that horrible face. Um, but uh, I'm just sitting here with a, a lot of deep gratitude uh, to Ron Dev and everyone in this group. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Van. You know, often when we're doing practices like Tonglen or meditation or anything, we think that we're, we're doing it. It's, and in fact, as a male, I, I often, I think my teaching is colored by that in a certain extent that I, I talk a lot about, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. At least half of practice, and I suspect that way, way more than half of practice is about receiving. I mean, we don't have to wait to be in a group that's doing Tonglen for us, that right now, every moment we're being showered with God's blessing, every moment. Maharaji said, I'm always in communion with you. In the Bible, Christ says virtually the same thing. It's hard to remember, it's hard to imagine that when we're in a really boring moment or a scary moment or an anxious moment, that even then, this, this profound blessing is available. It's just one mind moment away. And often it takes something remarkable like COVID or like a shock to, to uh, remember that. I, I remember back in 2009 in the financial great recession whatever it's called i was i was waiting in line in my local post office and i had these beads and i was actually i i had just lost all my money with bernard madoff i had gone from being fairly wealthy to remarkably unwealthy in the in the, the stretch of one telephone call and my friend jai utal who's a devotional singer he was with me in india with Maharaji, also lives in Fairfax. And he came into the post office. He knew that I had lost my money and he came up to me and said, 
isn't it remarkable how how close we feel to God when we're really scared? <laughs> so, uh, do we have to wait until we lose all of our money, or that there's a pandemic, or even when we're in a room together? I mean, what is it that separates us that from that feeling uh, from moment to moment to moment of receiving this blessing and just letting it pour through us into the the people around? When I was thinking about saying these things about doing global practice re- rather than being lost in our own reactions, at least part of the time doing global practice, there is a danger to that. And it's what John Well would call spiritual bypassing. It is possible to jump into all these practices and not feel how other people are suffering and just say, oh, it's all God. We can, we don't have to worry about the fact that I mean, I have, I have a few friends living in India, and things in India are really a mess. I mean, they're having 90,000 people a day being diagnosed with COVID. There is a danger that global practice is a way of avoiding the suffering that you're feeling and that you're, you're seeing in the world. That What we're saying is that the, the practice is coming out of a connection with and a deep compassion for the suffering that everybody is feeling rather than I'm going to have this global love because I don't want to feel the suffering. And those are two very different ways of going to the global. This whole thing about not feeling and not, not viewing the news. I think for a lot of people, uh, it's a really good idea. I'm consuming the news all the time. I'm reading about how people are suffering. I'm reading about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and Mitch McConnell and our dear esteemed president saying he might not leave if voted out and, and watching the emotions that come up in me and talking to people about it. Using that as motivation to deepen my ability to receive in the way that Van was talking about receiving Tong Len. This this whole practice is very much to me like going to the gym. It's really like strengthening muscles. It's strengthening your ability to be with how much suffering is in the world and stay open to it. And the more people can do that, the more healing happens. And I mean, there are people that they go off in a cave or a monastery and ashram and they deepen, deepen, deepen. But very often the motivation is to alleviate suffering in the world, not just to get rid of their own. And I find for myself, and I think many people find, that having motivation for practice to alleviate suffering for everybody rather than just for yourself really deepens practice. Anybody else want to say something? How How is your relationship with COVID changing now that this has been going on for seven months or so. How has it been changing your practice? How has it been changing your life? How has it been changing your your relationship with your heart? Well, I'm always looking for the middle way between attachment and aversion, which is a good practice for me, but... I guess if I could have unattached appreciation for COVID, and I still haven't figured out, you know, how it, the fires or something that's a piece of it, but I'm focusing on COVID. 
I think it's been an incredible blessing in my life. And I don't know that I can say that I think it's that for everybody because we're all having a different experience. But when you were talking about India, one of my anchor points that I think about is when I was in um, Varanasi in January, you know, you plan a trip, you make reservations, and I will admit I wanted to feel safe and I wanted to be comfortable because I knew it was just going to be an onslaught of shock, the culture. Um, well, I thought it would be, and it was. But um, when we, when I was making reservations, I made a reservation at this place called Yoga Retreat on the Ganges. And it, they explained it's a school, it's an ashram, it's a health clinic. It's they didn't say it was an orphanage, but it was it was an orphanage as well. And it turned out that we were the only people there. Uh, we besides the orphans and the people living in the ashram because they have uh, not figured out how to invite guests without. Um, having some way of knowing that they would honor the practices and the rhythm of the... So they had stopped doing that, but we had already made our reservations, so we were the only guests there. And I, I always felt safe, but I can say pretty much I, I was pretty darn uncomfortable. It was a cold snap. I didn't realize that they don't have heat in India, in, you know, uh, it was it was very, very cold. And so here we were staying with these orphans from um, young to teenagers with adult um, devotees caring for them. And they were wearing flip-flops and I was wearing down coat, you know, and blah. But we ate what they ate, which was very, very modest. Um, we had more clothes than they had. We were bigger babies than they were. But um, we've stayed in close touch with them, and we're donating money to the ashram now. And what they're doing during COVID is feeding all of the people around in their um, got area who can't get back to their villages. So they have virtually very, very little in their own right. And they are using what they have to feed the people who are living under you know, tarps, if they're lucky, to help them um, weather this pandemic. And man, that is, for me, it's so humbling. And I am so grateful, and I'm grateful for them. I'm not saying, I, I'm really honoring what they're doing and what other people are doing, what this people who wrote those six-word things are doing. I'd love to have a link for that. So I face fear now and then, but I am extremely grateful for how uh, this has driven me into my own practice and my own gratitude. 
And for meeting all of you, I, I do feel connected with each one of you. I, I look at you if you have a picture available. It's a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with you, Ram Dev, and that's that's what I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. The first time I was in India, I ended up doing a, a long meditation retreat in Bodh Gaya, which is in kind of the same part of India as Varanasi Banaras is. I was there also in January. There was a cold snap and a lot of people were freezing to death. You don't really think of people freezing to death in India, but that's what was happening. As Barbara said, there's no heat we were at this place called the Burmese Vihar, the Burmese temple, doing this Goenka retreat. And as well as, as the cold snap, there was a storm that knocked off. The, the, there was this tent that we were sleeping under on the roof of the building. And uh, I had this very, very, very light sleeping bag because it was India. I mean, I you didn't want a heavier one. And every night when I would go to sleep, I would put on every article of clothing I had. I put on, I had socks on my hands and <laughs> I had all my underwear on. I had everything, had my shawl wrapped around me. And I just, I was like struggling to get warm enough to fall asleep at night. And I mean, you know, I had the big advantage that I knew that I could just leave and pay some money and go to a hotel somewhere got bad enough i wanted to stay there at the retreat but you know just to imagine somebody who's is dying of cold they're freezing to death it's it, it's i guess it's unimaginable really but america has been i think pretty arrogant we've taken a lot for granted and we've looked down our noses at the rest of the world in certain ways and now the tables have been turned a bit which in in the long run hopefully will be a good thing Pardon me if I get political here for a moment, but I, I honestly think even many of you have heard that Chinese fable where the farmer found a wild horse on his land and he captured the wild horse and all of his friends said, oh, how lucky you are, you got this horse. He said, well, we'll see. And then his son got on the horse and the horse was kind of wild and threw his son off and his son got a broken leg and everybody said, oh, what bad luck you had. Your son has a broken leg. He can't help you now. That's terrible. And he said, well, we'll see what happens. And then a war broke out and the army came through and they were conscripting all the able-bodied young men to go off and fight and probably get killed. But his son couldn't fight because he had a broken leg. And everybody said, oh, you're so lucky that your son has a broken leg. And he said, well, we'll see. And it goes on and on for like half an hour, practically, that these things, it goes from positive and negative. And he just keeps saying, we'll see. Ramdas's quote, suffering is grace. Can we really take it all as a gift, really receive all of it as grace? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.